Hey everyone, Brian Zimmerman here, host of the Jazz's Backstage Pass podcast. Listen, before we get into today's episode with uh, band leader Maria Schneider, just wanted to quickly thank our monthly donor, Eric Baldwin. If you too would like to become a monthly donor and help support this podcast, you can do so in the link in this episode's show notes. All right, thanks to Eric Baldwin and on to today's episode. Enjoy. Hey everyone, Brian Zimmerman here, executive editor of Jazz Is Magazine. Wanted to welcome you to another episode of Jazz Is Live. Coming to you live on this Friday, August 14th at uh, 2.30. It's going to be a great episode in store. We are going to be talking with band leader, composer, arranger, multi-Grammy winner, Maria Schneider. She has a new album out right now, right this very moment, called Data Lords. That is available courtesy Artist Share, and uh, you can pick it up on Artist Share's website or on her website. We're going to be talking to her about the making of that album, the philosophy behind that album, and what it was like to work with legends like Gil Evans and David Bowie. That is coming up in a minute. I wanted to let you know quickly about uh, our latest print issue. It is wrapped. It is in the books. It is coming out in September. It is our fall 2020 issue, and it is all about the art of the album. There you can see our cover. It's a sneak peek of the cover there. This is all about albums. You remember albums, don't you? Vinyl albums, going to the record store, digging through the crates, holding the album in your hands, the cover art. Well, this is what this issue is all about, listening to albums, collecting albums, producing albums, even like I say, famous cover art. Uh, if you are a subscriber, you can expect this in your mailbox in September. If you're not, boy, do we have a deal for you. For right now, for 99 cents per month for three months, you can unlock unlimited digital access to our site where we archive all of our print material. But you'll also be enrolled to receive a complimentary print issue, this very issue, come September. If you like what you get, if you like what you read, all you have to do is sign on. We'll enroll you to become a full-fledged subscriber. If not, you can cancel any time. But after reading through our website, after reading this issue, I think you're going to want to stay around for a while. So yeah, check it out now. Go to our website, jazzes.com, and click uh, subscribe. We're getting some, we are getting some comments from viewers already. Kay on YouTube wants me to explain the hat on indoors, please. It, you know, I have curly hair uh, and not much of it these days. So it was that kind of a hair day. Plus, my Miami Marlins are making their home uh, debut uh, today. So go Marlins. I don't know if we have any other Marlins fans out there, but hey, enough about me. Let's go ahead and bring in today's very special guest. That would be band leader, composer, arranger, and Grammy winner, Maria Schneider. Maria, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Hey, Maria. Oh, you're making me cry talking about albums. You know, <laughs> I know, I've thought so much about this subject. One of the reasons when I made this new album that we put so much into the package to make yes. the most beautiful package we could was to bring back that thing of smelling it, looking oh, yeah. at it, holding it, feeling it, absorbing it visually and orally and shutting everything off and just taking in the whole experience. I mean, I miss that and I I want to bring that back and, and I'm hoping to make an LP of this new record because... You know, I love oh, LPs. Totally. And you're, there was a tangible quality. There was a physical quality. 
you had to put a physical record on a turntable and it's not like you could go anywhere. You can't strap a turntable to your arm and go for a jog. You know, you can't bring it in the car. You had to be there. You were physically present. A lot of times as the music was playing, you were looking through liner notes, you know, great liner notes written back then. So yes, this new issue is a tribute to the album and the art of the album, much like your new project, Data Lords, uh, because it is going to be released as a beautiful two-disc set. Correct. Yeah, it, it it is. Yeah, and and the album art is by an artist from my hometown, Aaron Horky, and it it's unbelievable. I mean, what he painted on the cover is insane, and um, and drew inside. And I had a great graphic designer who did my last album, The Thompson Fields, and I had a great photographer at the session. So we have a big book with lots of beautiful photos of the band, and I wrote very extensive liner notes. So this was, you know. A real project just you know for the packaging too and i i love that you know and to me that's important absolutely and maria i had been reading about this project or some semblance of this project data lords for a while i know the seed of this well explain to me when the seed of this project was planted because you debuted some of this material if i'm not mistaken at the newport jazz festival in 2017 right i did i okay. did yeah yeah, so I, you know, my my whole thing when I write music, I, I never s- have set out. Matter of fact, most of my records have just been a compilation of whatever I wrote over a few years, you know. And I look back and I can kind of see what they represent, what came forces came into my life that brought, you know, upon that it brought me to find that music. Right. Thompson Fields. It was largely, um, you know, the theme of home and being, you know connected to nature. And it came because I was spending more time in the country. You know, I think it was an automatic, you know, outgrowth of that. Um, And most people who know me, and even people who don't, but, you know, know my name, they know that I've been very outspoken about, you know, uh, big data and musicians' rights and, um, and how this is spilling out into other realms now beyond just music. Um, And so, uh, it started permeating my music. I would write things and they'd be kind of dark and a little nasty. And I'd be like, ah, it's Google. Don't be evil. You know, right. <laughs> it's the data lords. And, but then at the same time, you know, all those things that I need to do when I take this thing and put it away and then, you know, reconnect with my favorite poet, Ted Kuzer in a book that I have lying over there in the corner going, you know, out for a walk and, reconnecting with nature, then pieces came out of that. So I ended up with this very, you know, divergent, you know, just kind of bifurcated worlds in my music. And it was a a guy at one of my gigs, his name's Justin Freed. And he's, he's been a big supporter of my work through Artist Share for years. And he said, you, you got to record this music. And I said, Oh, Justin, you know, it's so left and right i don't even know what it is i don't think it's going to make a good record and he said you should make two right (laughs) so then i thought about it and i thought well you know um maybe maybe these two things tell one story and i think they do so it was quite you know it happened to me more than me willing this thing right and and often the best art arises from just those circumstances and it happened to be you know more opportune than ever because we're in a time in our lives now when we're all kind of shuttered away 
and technology has really crept in uh, in unprecedented ways. So yeah, the album's great in that you, you've kind of got this duality of the digital world and nature. And we can get, I want to get to how you kind of express that musically. Um, but I'm curious, first of all, as to how it kind of plays itself out in real life. Because I know for me, and I know for so many of us, it's like we've just become addicted to these things, you know, mm -hmm. and and it's like a dopamine hit every time we want some piece of information. And so I'm curious as to, you know, if you were able to, what methods you use to kind of keep the balance of not constantly being plugged in. I know it's you're really a bird watcher, you know, for example. Yeah, the birding helps. Yeah. Just anytime you get outside, all of a sudden you realize I don't have my phone. Oh, that's great, you know? Yeah. But and it's funny what you said about the dopamine hit every time you want information. But I think what's happening even more is that every time we have a little space in our lives, we get uncomfortable and, and then we say, Oh, well, let me see if I got a text message, you know? And I think that that is the most dangerous thing because it's robbing our lives of space. Yes. That time when you would think, the time when you would just rest your mind, you know, right. where, where you would consider things and start to ask questions about all these things that are happening in our world, asking yourselves your own questions politically, asking right. your own, um, coming up with solutions. Um, I, I have a friend who was telling me that, her son was so horribly bored and he's come up with this whole amazing website to try to get to the the bottom of political issues and, and to learn about political people. And, yeah. and she said boredom spurred mm. him to come up with this amazing idea. So yeah. I think we need to allow ourselves discomfort and space and even boredom to become something that we wouldn't have envisioned otherwise and something that this if this suggests something, it's the lowest common denominator of yeah. what some algorithm thinks we should do or what they want us to think or buy or, you know, do we do we really want our future selves to be what this suggests? I don't think yeah. so. I don't. Yeah. And it's so and it's and whenever I find myself hooked, I just remember that, like, you know, it's as, the, it's as if these tech companies are trying to buy my attention away from me. Which in a lot of ways they literally are. Yeah, Whereas I was going to say it's not as kids. if we <laughs> <laughs> are literally. I mean, we think of these free services, but it's because they are buying my attention. And so when I'm around my kids, you know, I'm constantly reminding myself, you know, who is more deserving of my attention, my family, myself, or these tech companies? So, you know, it's uh, it's an important reminder. Again, now more than ever, that a lot, so many of us are shuttered away. We do find ourselves getting a little bored. Not that there's anything wrong with boredom, but maybe now's the time to. Put on the album, you know, and sit for an entire album and listen to the mm. whole thing, you know, read a good chapter of a book. So I think mm. uh, this album of yours will hopefully spur a lot of people to do that. But uh, yeah, so we were kind of putting the pieces together. It was, you know, came together over several years. I remember after you performed Don't Be Evil, which, of course, the Google slogan in 2017, they mysteriously did away with it. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, they got yeah. a lot of flack for that one and they should it's like yeah. Ooh, wow setting the bar really high there yeah. you know <laughs> yeah totally but um you know you mentioned space too and embracing space in our personal lives so again you know musically i'm curious as to how some of these themes were woven in because i understand you had one song in there that used what morse code 
right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, that I'm, was yeah. That that was the one piece on this album where I set out to try to achieve something. You know, where I didn't right. let the music tell me what it is, but I said, okay, I want it. And I'll tell you. It's not the way I usually write. And it was very difficult. I did three versions of this thing before I was satisfied. But the idea actually came from an artist share participant. So I was holding up, you know, some some picture of, you know, my family home. And it had these two really tall towers in it. And he said, oh, man, he wrote, you know, to me, he said, your man, your your man, your father, your father was a, a radio ham. And I said, yeah. And I, and so um, he asked me his address, and then he started explaining about how Morse code, which you know all hams had to learn, um, and my dad was in the Navy, of course he did Morse code, he tried to teach it to me. The longs and shorts are like ones and zeros. It's the first binary language yeah. um, for communication, you know, traveling on an electronic signal. And so um, and then he said, think about it. You know, ham radio was about connecting with the world. It was about um, uh, 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 finding people, you know, from faraway places. But he said there was, unlike the Internet, there was total transparency. You had to have a license to do it. You had to tell somebody who you were when you did it. There was a code of ethics. Right. There was, you know, um, so, and you couldn't do business. You couldn't use it to get something business-wise out of right, it. Right. And so I decided to try to write a piece using every rhythm in Morse code. So help is baba do dat bop buddha do dat buddha dee dee. Power is dee dee dat do da dee da dee da dee dat. CQ, which means literally CQ, like okay. when you call somebody, you say CQ, CQ, this is W0ABF. Okay. CQ is da dee 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 dee. So that's in the piece a lot. Dee 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 da 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 da. So it's, it was fun to write. It was not easy. You know, so all the, all the words are power, greed, um, help, SOS, um, uh, data, AI. And CQ, and then my dad's license, W0ABF. That's fascinating. <laughs> Very cool. And yeah, you know, not typically the way songs come together through Morse code. Um, yeah. Did did you find, uh, because I know nature is a big theme, is a recurring theme in your work. Um, were there challenges in putting, um, you know, any you know major challenges in putting together the natural side of the two CD set? No, because I sort of naturally, after writing a piece like Data Lords or Don't Be Evil and these yeah. kind of, you know, intense pieces, I sort of naturally want to chill out and write something very yeah. be beautiful and more out of my my typical, you know, world yeah. of writing. And, and so it felt like a, a kind of healing for me to write each of those pieces. So, um, and... And I, and I like writing beautiful things, you know, not that the, the big data ones aren't beautiful. I think they are. Um, but I like writing things that are peaceful and beautiful and, you know, lush. You, you are so good at it. Uh, walking by flashlight. Walking by flashlight is the name yeah. of uh, one of the most beautiful tunes just out there. Uh, well, you know what? It was it was based on one of the most beautiful poems out there. And I again, I think I do. And it, it kind of speaks to the band, too. I think I do my best work when I'm reaching to meet something else that I love. You know, when it's not about 
okay, I got to write something good. But it, when I'm listening and looking at that poem, Walking by Flashlight by Ted Kuzer, and saying, okay, I, I want I want to make my music meet that. You know, yeah. that's setting that bar so high. Or if I want to write something beautiful from Marshall Jilks on trombone, yeah. wow, I'm reaching for that. And it, it pulls me out of myself. And I think that my best music happens when that's my approach. Totally. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and this is, you know, just fantastic work, Maria, you know, up there with your best for sure. Thank um, you. And we can get to a little bit more nuts and bolts of it. Again, it's being offered as two disc set, also high res download. Mm-hmm. Correct, and it's the high res time. is great. High res, no, I bet. No, <laughs> we are all at. about we are all about high res at jazzis.com. <laughs> um, and it's an eighteen piece ensemble. Yes. Yeah, eighteen piece band. You know, typical big band in a way yep. with guitar Ben Monder. Nothing's typical when you have Ben Monder, and then Gary Versace on accordion, which is also not typical but yeah. wonderful. Very nice, very nice, and it can be ordered again at Artist Share, which is where you're releasing it, or your website. Yep, MariaSchneider.com. Perfect, perfect. It's out right now, people, and it's great. We mentioned the artwork by what's his name, Andy. Aaron Horky. Aaron Horky. Yeah, yeah, people go to Aaron Horky uh, on Instagram, H O R K E Y, and check out this this guy's drawings. Stunning <laughs> the, stuff. And he works stunning. on the Thompson Field too, right? No, no, that was my designer Sherry okay. Dore, and she's she worked on this as well. But yeah, um, this is the first time I've had illustrations on on a record. I always had photos. I'm like done with the photos. <laughs> It's like, okay, that's over. Past cool. that about a half decade ago. Right. Well, it is a beautiful <laughs> album, musically, uh, graphically. And again, I encourage everybody out there, it sounds great too, because as Dan Kaufman is saying, it's high res. Yes, Dan. Uh, yes, Dave. High res is awesome. Uh, it just <laughs> sounds so much better. Um, okay, you brought this up a little while ago, and I'm, I'm hoping we can dive into a little bit more. You know, you've long been a crusader for musicians' rights in the digital era. Uh, I mean, you testified before Congress on this very subject. And I'm curious as to when, you know, this topic, but when you began to seriously dive in and went from being, you know, a, a observer and bystander of what was going on in digital media to an activist in a lot of respects. Well, I think... Um it's been a little bit of a process. A lot happened through everything I learned through first starting to do artist share in 2003 when Napster happened, you know, and everybody was sharing music, you know, on a whim. Um, and Brian came up with this idea to, um, you know, pre that people could pre-order something. And then that I would share the whole creative process that, um, made me realize the power of the internet and the power of connecting with people. And I made the first album I did that way was Concert in the Garden, and it was hugely successful. Mm-hmm. It was the first album that would win a Grammy, only sold on the internet. Well, a couple of years later, YouTube begins. And I remember the first thing I saw on YouTube, somebody sent me a Thad Jones video. Isn't this cool? You know, and I was like, yeah, and who cleared those rights? Right. And then more and more things were coming to me. And I thought, this is crazy. Who? I I could tell immediately it was a hotbed of piracy and it scared me. And, and when, what, what I started to see happen is 
my career was growing, my audience was growing, but my sales were going down. And I saw that what happened is when a platform like that basically offers all the music, all the content in the world, it becomes this feeding frenzy and everybody's just gorging on things for free and people don't feel like we did. You're talking about the albums, the days when we were hungry for something to, new to listen to and we would go to the store and we were happy to buy it. We valued it. Right. And suddenly this was devaluing music. It was making everything for free. And I realized it was just a huge problem. And, I, and I'd been talking about it for a long time. And then the real catalyst was in 2014, the Recording Academy asked me, they had heard in some roundtables me talking about my ideas about, uh, you know, YouTube and the internet and uh, doing, they call it DMCA takedowns um, and uh, to protect your work. And I was really frustrated. And they said, would you like to testify before Congress? And that was an amazing opportunity, very moving, you know, yeah. to go and feel like you have a voice in front of your congressman um, and to sit next to Google and be talking about these things and advocating for somebody like myself, who's, who's working so hard, spending years working on our art, just to have people feel like it's okay to put it up for free and be told, oh, you should be happy you're getting free publicity. You know, this is going to help you. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> How about if I help myself to your, your 401k? Because I think that'd be pretty cool, you know? And, and yeah. you know, so anyway, so th it is built now. I've been writing open letters and um, really expressing things. And I've been investigating a lot and talking with a lot of people. And, and I think it's important that and teaching it, you know, to the young, to young people that don't know what they're losing. And a lot of people, oh, somebody's saying here, they miss buying at a store. Hallelujah, I do too. <laughs> you know what I miss? So there's a, a wonderful, I'm, I'm sure you're going to relate to this. When I was at Eastman School of Music in Rochester, there's a wonderful store there called the Bop Shop. And I think you can order online from them. I think they do a lot of LPs and stuff. And there was a guy running this store named Tom Cohn. I learned more, as much from Tom Cohn as I did in my Eastman education, because he saw things I was buying and said, hey, you know, he nice. stretched me to, to find Bob Moses, who I'd never heard of. He said, oh, you like this Gil Evans? He thought, you know, hey, check out this, you know, this other side of Gil Evans you don't know, and these other people that have been influenced by him. And, you know, it's um, the world of buying music, paying for music, and being there with people that aren't just curating it through right. a website they, in some they, sort of invisible, insidious way, but it's somebody the who really... They don't know. I yeah. mean, the, the art of recommending an album is a lost art now because <laughs> yeah. the computer just puts together an equation that thinks it knows what you should listen to next. But there was nothing like, you know, talking to somebody about, yeah, oh, Gil Evans, what else should I be doing? Oh, have you heard Gil Evans cover Jimi Hendrix? You know, was, yeah, yes. computers cannot get to that level, uh, you know, of personal connection. So, and giving computers give you kind of what they expect. It's the lowest con common denominator. Right. It doesn't give you what's surprising. It doesn't give you right. the unexpected. It doesn't give you the unknown. Same thing with computer algorithmic driven 
AI music. It's like, oh, give me a break, you know? Right, right. That it's. Mm. <laughs> I know it's you got me going. Well, and we're going to have to have you back to get going because it's, this, it's our our viewers, our readers uh, also love albums, and again, that's why we put together this art of the album issue. And so, a project like this, I think, is going to click with a lot of them. A uh, couple follow up questions, which is one: Have you seen changes? You know, in the digital media, uh, you know, digital music industry since you you know, began kind of this campaign. And uh, number two, you know, what can we as ethical listeners do, especially now that, you know, the music industry is kind of topsy-turvy, um, but to support artists who continue to make great music? Well, so I'm going to start with your second question first. I think what's important is if you love an artist um, or you love music, Look for their website because usually, and if they don't, any musicians that are listening to this, you should always put on your website the way in which you want people to, to get to get your music. Um, and people should always look there first. And if you can buy directly from an artist, it's always better for the artist. And, you know, I don't think things have gotten better mm. at all because, uh, you know, when, when the whole thing started and artist shares started, all the record companies were really tumbling and and that was a sad thing but you know now we got a different situation record companies are do, doing really well well one of the reasons they're doing really well is that most of the artists on most of the records and store, record companies and it's not all of them but it's a lot of them are paying for the making of their own records and a lot of them are still doing a record deal to have the the label of you know the record on it but many, many artists are funding their own records. And if right. they're on Spotify, there is no chance in hell they're even going to make a small portion of that investment back. Right. And that's what I think is really sad that people don't realize that this whole farce that I call Spotify is being un underwritten by artists. You know, 90% of the music on Spotify is splitting 1% of the financial pie. 10% right. is getting 99% of the plays and getting 99% of the right. income. 90% is splitting 1% of the financial pie. So we know that that is mostly um, jazz, classical, right. world, you know, blues, uh, and a lot of pop rock and, and, and rap and various things as well. But um, that cannot continue no business. It's, it's, we have been pushed out of the free market. My album costs close to a, mil, a, a quarter million dollars to make. Okay. Yeah. Um, but when you're being paid by the stream, everybody's being paid the same amount. That means my music's being priced the same as a kid making music in his bedroom for nothing. Right. Now, that's not to knock that music. But if I have a very small niche audience and a very expensive product, just like clothing, I should be able to price it accordingly. I live in the United States. This is a free market economy. Right. Spotify is not a free market. YouTube mm -hmm. is not a free market. And unfortunately, it's got such a big market share that those of us who are trying to have our own marketplace are really struggling. So that's the basic, that's where we're at. Gotcha. 
the best thing we can do as consumers buy directly from the artists support the physical albums um especially now as we're watching live streams we see those tip jars you know we see those patrons that's the best way to do it yeah and a lot of people are selling um selling uh downloads through their own sites also yeah. i would say bandcamp art yep. share of course i love you know and also bandcamp is is also doing a good job you know that's a thing where the artists are allowed to see who bought their music. You know, I, they can set their price, and, and that makes a big difference. So there are some platforms out there, but they're they're struggling, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Like I say, especially now when uh, it's kind of a dry spell for a lot of the music industry. Um, so you know, thanks for the advice. Again, the new album Data Lords is out right now. You can purchase it at Artishare or Maria's website, um, and it's fantastic. I guarantee you, people watching, you are going to love it. Um, so go out and buy yourself a copy. We can uh, wrap things up, Maria, by kind of taking a stroll down memory lane here because you brought up a big name, Gil Evans. Um, you know, kind of legend of orchestrating and arranging, you know, famous for his work with Miles Davis and, and his own work. But um, you worked with him back in the 80s, 90s, yes? Uh, 80, 85 to 88 when he died. That's right. Okay, yeah. wow. And, and you know, where were you in your life then? You Had, had you graduated from Berkeley or? Or, or Eastman. Yeah, Eastman, I, I, sorry, I'd yes. finished the Eastman School of Music, yeah. And I um, moved to New York and I was working as a music copyist. And there's a jazz composer Tom Pearson. He lives in Japan now, but he was the one who introduced me to Gil Evans and um, Gil needed somebody to work for him. And I started started as copying and then um, it turned into re, re orchestration and, you know, just general helping him. And it was just a, an amazing thing to be around a man like that, you know, with yeah. such a, such an imprint of personality in his music and just, you know, and, and he was just such an, an amazing person, you know, just like a wizard in a way. Right. And I'm curious if you can unpack a little, you know, for people watching who, because Gil is not necessarily uh, an out in the spotlight guy, you know, he's as the arranger, he's kind of works things through invisible strings. So, you know, what he did so well and what he did so differently that, people on first listen to something like a sketches of Spain or birth of cool might not realize, um, you know, well, they, y y you're asking me, I'm asking. Oh. You. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, his orchestrations were almost like compositions. And yeah. if, for instance, if you live, listen to Concerto de Aranjuez and then you listen to the original, you hear, a huge aspect of Gill's right, and it's a really interesting thing to do that. Listen to one and then listen to the other. You'll hear so many lines, lines in the tuba, lines on the bottom, just this sense of linearity. That is the one of the most powerful aspects of Gill's music. Um, the simplicity of the line, you know, nothing is there that doesn't need to be there. And, and then the, just the transparency and and how the solos are always just so, you know, how the the music is just sewn to fit, you know, mm. leading miles in, taking miles out, and I, there's there's a magic there, you know, it's um, it's incredible. Beautiful. 
Yeah, and uh, I want to, I guess we could end here, wrap up, talking about another musical icon that you worked with. Obviously a brilliant guy, but not from the world of traditional jazz. That would be David Bowie, um, because I know you worked with him on the piece Sue, or in a season mm -hmm. of crime. Um, and I'm just curious as to, you know, again, working, you're kind of speaking the same universal language, but again, he's coming from rock. Well, it's hard to really put, you know, a label on what he does, but you're coming from a strong jazz background. What was it like to work together on this really novel, unique piece that was Sue or in a season of crime? Well, he, first of all, his first love had been jazz. Yeah, he's he a saxophone loved, player, right? Yeah, and yeah. he he loved jazz, and I think it's really amazing that at the end of his life, his last record was Black Star, yeah. and things kind of came full circle. Um, but you know, uh, what was fun about him was, first of all, his enthusiasm was just so huge. His love of music was so big. You know, he came to hear the band, and he was just in love with it you know so that was just so much fun yeah. and and he just wanted to experiment so much and 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 maybe here i'm just thinking of this now he delighted in the dark it wasn't dour dark but he delighted in it and and i think that's something that took me into this new album and i just i just thought about that because when he came over he played he the first time you know he came over to my place and um and he played me a little something he had started to write and that he wanted to see if we could work on it together and see what it would turn into. And um, so I listened to it and it didn't really sound dark to me. He said, but I want it to be really dark. And I said, well, what's it going to be about? And he said, I don't know, maybe vampires. And he got this big smile on his face. And so, I mean, it ended up being, the words ended up being about a man who kills his wife for cheating on him. You know, it's wow. pretty, it's, it's dark. really dark. Yeah. He brought those final words into the studio and I was like, oh God, David, you know, and <laughs> there's this part, you know, she's in beneath the weeds. And I, I said, and I looked and I'm reading it and he says, he kills her. <laughs> oh my God, jeez. Anyway, but he had, he had this sort of, um, just this, and this experimentation wish, you know, so I, so I, I I was really nervous that what we were doing might not work. It was kind of strange and everything. And he said, he said, look, Maria, the great thing is if the plane goes down, we all walk away. So just go for it, you know. Yeah. So I really took that spirit into the mu my music moving forward. A matter of fact, when I was mixing or finish, yeah, I was mixing the Thompson Fields when Sue came out. The the band version of Sue. Um, and when that came out and I listened to it and I just felt like, oh my God, Thompson feels is sounding really mamsy pamsy to me right now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I wrote to him and I said, I don't know what you've done to me. It's like this thing I'm, I've got a mix now. It just sounds like Captain Kangaroo or something. It just sounds so like, you know, down the middle or something. And he and he wrote back and he said, well, then my work is done here then. So <laughs> it's like, I've ruined you. Good. Good. You know, so it was, he was really, really delightful, really fun. I really a joy to work with. 
I'm so sorry we're not getting to do more things together, you know? Yeah, and that's, that is absolutely what I've heard about these sessions is just that you said it, the delight, the joy that he took in this sense of experimentation, of being in this jazz world, you know? Um, and yeah, you know, bittersweet that that was his, his final album was with this amazing jazz ensemble and that he got to work with you on this jazz version of a tune from the album. Um, and a very a well-deserved Grammy uh, for that track as well, Maria. Well, hey, this has been an absolute pleasure. Again, you know, people listening, go check out Data Lords. It's an incredible album available on Artishare and Maria's website. Uh, absolutely worth the listen. Maybe turn off the phone, you know. Oh, lights. yeah. Maybe I that's how you spend that. your Friday evening. Um, yeah, I recommend that time. even if you're doing nothing. Yeah. You know, turn off your phone and go outside and listen to the crickets. <laughs> Anything. That's right. That's yeah. right. Or the birds. Or the birds, or except the they're birds. pretty quiet these days. They're Horrible. starting to head south again. Oh, it's All right, our neck of the woods. All right. I'll yeah. keep an eye out. I'll keep an eye out. <laughs> well, Maria, like I say, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you uh, so much for joining us today. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. I'll say goodbye to you. I'm going to sign off with people watching at home. Bye-bye. Take care, Maria. Bye. All right, so thank you once again to our guest, Maria Schneider. The new album, Data Lords, is out right now via Artist Share. It's available there or at Maria's website. It's a really, really good album. And if you're a fan of the art of the album, you're definitely going to want to check out that album. You can also check out our latest issue coming out again in September. Jeff, can you pull up that album cover? Uh, beautiful illustration by our designer, Eric Beatty. It's coming out in September. You sign up for a digital subscription now. You unlock unlimited digital access for 99 cents you get all our web articles all our interviews all our cd reviews all of the uh, text that we've converted from previous print issues available on our website plus we'll enroll you to receive this art of the album uh, issue coming out in september for free it's a complimentary issue you like it you're a subscriber that's it all right that'll do it for today's episode follow us on facebook make sure you know when we're live uh, we'll see you next week folks thanks for watching bye bye